Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, and today we're digging again into this conversation and question of what is infinite banking. Now, the reason we're covering what is infinite banking is because we really want to come back to the fundamentals, the basics of what exactly is infinite banking. When you hear this term, there's a lot of Um, popularity growth around this idea right now. There's a lot more people looking for infinite banking and wondering what exactly is behind these guarantees and behind these claims of what infinite banking can do in your life. And so we're here just to lay out the facts and come back to the bare bones basics and give you an understanding of what is happening within an infinite banking policy so that you know what solid ground you have beneath your feet when you're using this product. So we've covered, I think we're in part five today. I don't know how many parts we're going to end up with this show or with this series, but we have talked about what is infinite banking? What is whole life insurance? What is the special design? What is cash value? We've talked about what is base premium and what is paid up additions. We have talked about what is the death benefit and what is a mutual company. So you can look back in the history of those episodes if you want to dig into those conversations and those questions. And today we're going to be really unpacking what is a dividend, a really important part of a whole life insurance policy that is used for infinite banking. And we're going to help you understand more clearly what is a dividend. Bruce, thank you for joining me for this great conversation again today. Yeah, I think uh, this is going to be very interesting because there's a lot of people that think they know what a dividend is. And then there's the the IRS definition of a dividend and why it's tax-free in, in, a, in a life insurance contract. And if people would open their minds a little bit and um, really listen to the, the common sense reasons behind and not the sensationalism reasons behind why a dividend is the way it is. And then we'll just give the pros and cons of of this as we go along. Awesome. Well, let me share with you, just in case you're not as familiar with infinite banking, I'm going to give you a really quick run up to the dividend in general. So with infinite banking, you are using a specially designed whole life insurance policy. And specifically, that policy is with a mutual company. Now, we've dug into this a little bit in a previous episode in this series, but a mutual company is a life insurance company that is owned by the policy owners. What that means is that as a policy owner, you are the one who is entitled to the return of the profits and the profitability of that company, as opposed to a stock company which would be a different classification of life insurance companies. And in a stock company, the primary um, person, the primary um, party that's interested or the primary party with the interest of getting the profitability back in their hands is the stockholders who may or may not be policy owners. 
Now, here's why it's key. When you are with a mutual company, you're participating in the profitability of the company, which means you want the company the company to be as profitable as possible. And it's going to benefit you as a result of being the policy owner when the company is profitable. That return from the profitability of the company is called a dividend. Now, Bruce, I'm not sure how clear that was. I hope that was really clear. What I do want to say as well is that dividends are one of, not the, but one of the drivers of growth inside your policy. You have a guaranteed interest growth, and then you have dividends. Now, dividends are unique in that they're not guaranteed. However, they are highly anticipated, as you'll hear us talk about regularly on this show. So today, we're going to talk about what is that dividend actually, how you can think about dividends going forward, and how you can understand the growth that you receive inside of a policy on the basis of that dividend. So Bruce, let's dig into what is the dividend actually? Well, the, the, uh, the IRS uh, definition of a dividend is a return of premium. And in order to have a return of premium, this is what the, uh, the people that do not like or, or, or say that this is not a good place to put money is they say, why would you uh, want to put someplace that's overcharging you? And then they just give you your money back. And that is the IRS classification of why they actually uh, have the dividend be tax-free. And I could say a couple of different things about that. First of all, the, the, the overcharging is because the overcharging is because they are actually taking very conservative, uh, viewpoints of mortality and charges. And so they, insurance companies are very uh, conservative in nature. So they want to say, in case something were to happen, i.e., example, about the time we're talking about this, a pandemic, a war, uh, something that would cause mass, that they would still be in very good shape. If those things don't happen, then obviously they would become more profitable. And so they would share this. The other thing I, I would say that for people that think that this is not a good situation to uh, place your uh, capital into, because they're thinking, well, why would I want to do this? It's just return a premium, is that is not the entire makeup of it, although that's the IRS definition of why they make it free, is logically that if that's all it is, then your policy would never grow by the amount that it grows and you would never receive a dis. Uh, a dividend after you put a premium payment in. Mm -hmm. And this is very easily illustrated, both, uh, both in an, uh, an illustration and, uh, before a policy is purchased and what they call an enforced illustration. In other words, you already have a policy and the insurance company would say, if dividend rates remain the same from this point on, you will receive this dividend and yet you haven't put any more premiums in. So mm -hmm. how can that be a return of premium and how could your policy grow if they're only giving your money back to you uh, overcharge? And then the final thing I think uh, when we're talking about overcharging is a lot of companies pay dividends, private companies pay dividends and public companies, our stock companies pay dividends. Those are taxable dividends. And so the IRS is saying that uh, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. 
those dividends are arrived by the profits of the company. So you could also say the same thing. I've used this example before. UPS and, and Coca-Cola pay dividends. Are we saying that UPS is charging you too much for the package delivery? Are we telling you that every time you buy a Coca-Cola, they're charging you too much for that Coca-Cola and they're just returning the money that you, would, you, would have, you didn't have to pay instead of paying 50 cents for a Coke? You mm -hmm. should have only paid 35 cents and they're, they're returning that money. No, it's a way that the IRS is looking at the premium from a conservative nature to make it tax-free. So that's, that's my initial thoughts. And then we can go into how, how, to, how the dividends are determined. Yeah. So, I mean, there is so much, and I think we could probably do 16 episodes just on dividends. So we're going to try to keep it as basic as possible, but also help you understand how are dividends set to begin with and how are they paid out and are they set in a way that is forever for the life of the policy? So I just want to give a little bit of context here. Before you get a life insurance policy, you get an illustration. On that illustration, you're going to have two sides of these long columns of numbers. You're going to see one side of the illustration is a guaranteed cash value and guaranteed growth of cash value and death benefit in the policy. That is on the basis of guaranteed interest only. Then on the right-hand side, so if you go all the way across the page, past the guaranteed side of the illustration, you're going to get into the non-guaranteed side of the illustration. That word is really crucial, non-guaranteed. Non-guaranteed is simply the addition of dividends into the policy. Now, what does that exactly mean? Well, say in year five, my cash value is $84,000 on the guaranteed side. It's possible, now it depends on how much premium you're putting in per year, but it's possible that your dividend on the non-guaranteed side could be maybe five or $6,000. And that is going to be then added to a cash value, say 6,000, we had $84,000 of cash value on the guaranteed side. If there's a $6,000 dividend, the non-guaranteed cash value in that year is going to read as $90,000. What then happens in reality though, your non-guaranteed side of the illustration will show no dividends ever being applied to that side of the premium. They just show your interest growth in year one, plus your interest growth in year two, plus your interest growth in year three, and so on and so forth. They're not going to add in any dividends. But in reality, what happens is you live out from the start of your policy through that year, dividends are declared, paid out, and then once that dividend is paid, it begins to, it is added over to the guaranteed values in your policy. Now, even though the dividend itself is not guaranteed, once it's paid out, now you cannot lose that. The company can't rescind the dividend from three years ago or from last month. They can't pull that back into their, their company coffers. That is now your baseline floor in the policy. And the next year, your interest is going to grow on a guaranteed basis. And then your non-guaranteed dividend will be applied. Now, non-guaranteed dividends as well are um, set in an illustration on the basis of current dividend rates today and what that company projects going forward based on today's values. So they use that same value from today's environment and they overlay that on every single year of the policy going forward. But what happens in reality is that as the company performs, then once they have lived out the experience of those 
of that year in the policy, they're going to set a new dividend rate for the following year, which is going to be different than the previous dividend from the previous year. And so you are not going to have the performance exactly as shown in your policy. That's why I say it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed to be paid out at all. However, it has been for most companies that are strong and that we work with that have high Comdex score, a high rating on Standard & Poor's, a high Fitch's rating, a high rating on AM Best. These companies have paid out dividends year in and year out, even through the worst economic times like the Great Depression. So when we say it's not guaranteed, that's because it is not a guaranteed feature in your policy, but it is a side non-guaranteed feature that is highly anticipated that we expect will be paid into the policy, even though it won't look exactly like it looks on the illustration. I don't know if that's confusing or if that helps bring clarity to why we call it non-guaranteed in the first place. Well, what I, I find interesting is people, once again, that are are trying to discredit whole mutual whole life insurance companies say, see, I told you it, the dividend's non-guaranteed. You, should, you shouldn't put your money in that. You should put it in mutual funds. Like mutual fund, if you ever read a perspective on a mutual fund, <clears throat> it could be 500 pages long. And, and the whole theme of the mutual fund is it's non-guaranteed. The results are non-guaranteed. Yes. <clears throat> and once, the, <clears throat> once you do receive a bump in, in the net asset value of the mutual fund, it, 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 it's not guaranteed to stay there. Mm-hmm. And it can actually go negative. I just find these these uh, things very very interesting. Um, well, Rachel, maybe we ought to. Everything you said was really really good, and I think it was pretty clear. The one thing I would add is that once a dividend is declared, uh, not only do you, not only is it is it guaranteed and it can never be taken away, but you also get dividends on top of those dividends. Yes. So they compound really on point. top of the uh, on top of those dividends. Let's talk about let's talk about how how a company actually determines a dividend. Yes. Let's go so it's from, the, it's from the profitability of the company. Now, here's something else to, to, for our listeners to understand. There is no consistent way that everybody determines dividends. And some, it's even worse, some companies report a gross dividend and some companies report a net dividend. So some of them are actually doing it uh, before costs and some of them are doing it after costs, and some of them don't even aren't consistent with what costs they're actually uh, taking into place. Some of them say, "Well, we're doing this before the the cost of insurance," and other ones say, "Well, we're also doing this before the cost of uh, of taxes on the company." Uh, and then some of them say, "Well, we're just going to declare a net dividend." So that's why Nelson used to always say, "You can't get caught up in rates." So like a, um, a rate of 5.2 dividend is a rate, but how they apply that dividend is different with every company. <laughs> Nelson used to say, it's not about the rate, it's about the volume. Mm-hmm. Okay, and people get, people get confused about this. And he said, and to, to unconfuse people said, if you had a deadly drug that somebody was putting into your body, it's not how fast they're putting it into your body, the rate at which they put it in your body, it's how much they're putting in or the volume that they're putting into your, your body. So it's the I same. I love that you said unconfused. Uh, thanks for making up that word right there. And I love also that you said 
the rate doesn't matter. And I'm just going to point something out here. A lot of times it can be really attractive or seem like the um, wise thing to do as a consumer, if you're getting ready to buy an infinite banking policy, it can seem like the best idea would be then to compare the illustrations and to look at the value in year five and the value in year 30 and the dividend rates and which one looks like it's going to perform better. What you're saying, Bruce, is one company can show a higher dividend rate, another company can show a lower dividend rate, but you still might receive a better dollar amount on the basis of that lower dividend rate. And so it's not going to be something that is projecting a guarantee into the future because the dividends are not guaranteed. So it's better just to get started rather than comparing all of the all of the line by line items in dividend rates. Yeah, so- I mean it's 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 um all you have to do is live through economic times and know that the illustrations are just snapshots in time. That's why they they're not the contract. And because the, the contract will say that it will be declared once a year. And that's the next thing we ought to probably talk about is the, the companies declare the dividend once a year and it's applied on your anniversary date. And your anniversary date is the date that you actually issue the policy. So if you if you told the agent, I want to do this, they will issue it. And if it's May 1st, then every May 1st, the declared dividend of that company that year will be applied on May 1st. This is different than any other financial institution statement where you're not going to receive a monthly, quarterly statement. You're only going to receive an annual statement. And the reason you're only going to receive an annual statement is because the dividend is only applied annually. Mm. So let's talk about how they determine it. It's very simple. It's like any other other company. The company has expenses to run the company. So they have home office, a building where they they house everybody. They have payroll expenses for customer service, for people, actuaries to design the products, for underwriters to determine if you're healthy enough, for administrative people to run the company, both for marketing purposes, for legal purposes, so on and so forth. And so all that has um, is an expense. And then they have agents like us who actually they pay a commission to actually design, to explain, to educate, and then to service the policies. Mm-hmm. Um, along the way, and then the final, <clears throat> and probably the most, the mo- the thing that uh, determines the expenses the most are mortality costs. How many people die that died the previous year, and then they simply because have because of how much death benefit they're going to pay out, and that's an expense to the life insurance company. Correct, and then and then they have the the income side. It's a simple balance sheet. So where do they put the premiums? To actually make a profit, well, they about for most insurance mutual insurance companies, about seventy five percent of those premium are actually in different forms of bonds, Mm -hmm. and then some more are actually invested into mortgages, some more invested in derivatives, and a very small sliver, less than five percent, in most cases less than three percent, is into some kind of equities, and so whatever the rate of return there. They have, um, they have grown their portfolio. And another way they grow por- a portfolio is from loans by policyholders because they charge an interest rate. So then that interest rate goes back into the pool of income. So, so policy owner loans actually increase 
the profitability. And then they and then they simply look at the balance sheet and they say, okay, we had this much income, we had this much expense, we have this much profit. They take some of that profit and they put it into the reserves for a rainy day. And then they and then the board of directors declare how much they're going to pay out to the policy owners in the form of a dividend. And that dividend is then declared whether it's 5.2 or 9.0, then that will um, that will then be uh, paid out. And it, but not every policyholder gets the same dividend. And this is very very confusing for people. I said, wait a minute, why can't I just look at 5.2 and my cash value or my dividend is 5.2 of my cash value or my premium? Well, because they also take into consideration the death benefit. And this is proprietary, so we can't go over all this. I'm just telling you what the chief investment officers of each mutual company that I've talked to explains it to me. They look at the the death benefit specifically and, and more importantly, the base death benefit, the one that contractually the premiums are going to be paid. The PUAs are considered too, but because they're optional, they are not they are not weighted the same as the base death benefit. That is key when designing a policy. And then because of the time value of money, a 10-year-old will not receive the same rate of the declared dividend as a 75-year-old will. And the reason for that is all these policies endow at age 121, which simply means if you're still alive at 121, your cash value will meet the, the death benefit and they will pay out the uh, death benefit in the form of a check right then. They will pay it out. So a 10-year-old has much more time for it to compound mm-hmm. to 121. So because of the time value of money, they don't have to pay as great a, of, a, of a dividend. Now, for all you people that are listening to this screaming, well, that's not fair. Well, it's in the contract, okay? So it's, it's not like it's not disclosed. And the, and the other thing is you, you have to understand is that, um, that this, this actually, people might say, well, wait a minute, how can the death benefit and the, and the cash value actually meet at 121 if dividends can actually grow? And they can, and we actually anticipate the, dividends to grow. Well, the reason they can is because dividends are set to to buy more paid up additions, which is paid up life insurance. So it buys more life insurance. So it's actually growing alongside with with you. So the question that we got, Rachel, um, recently was, well, is this a good place to put my money in an inflationary environment? Mm -hmm. Well, if you heard what I just said, we're 75% of the of the um, premiums are placed into bond type, which are interest rate driven investments. As interest rate driven investments go up, then historically dividends have gone up. And what mm-hmm. else did I say? They invest in mortgages, both uh, residential and commercial. Well, as those interest rates go up, they make more money there, and the and the dividends go up also. So this is actually a pretty good place to put your capital. And remember, it's not about the rate of return. It's about a place to store your capital. And the final thing I'd like to say, and then Rachel, you can kind of wrap up on what I missed, is the 
the cash value is the net present value of a future death benefit. And that's a complicated actuarial term that basically says, this is the value of the cash value. And we know through through projections that it's going to meet the death benefit at age 121. So you can't think of it like an investment. That's why it's not an investment, because as an investment, you're going to say to yourself, okay, I'm going to have this and I'm going to average this into the future. Well, you don't know if you're going to average that, at least with whole life insurance on the guaranteed side. You don't you do know what you're going to get and they're going to meet at 121. There's so much packed into that. So I hope you are listening and tracking with everything that Bruce has shared. I can envision somebody listening and saying, let me back that up because I want to catch everything. And this is probably one of those clips that if I was listening to the podcast, I would listen to about 10 times just to make sure that I I caught everything. It's going to be impossible to unpack all of that here, but that's why we have the podcast um, that has been going on for four and a half years so that you can gather more of these details. But I wanted to point out a few things. We know that the base premium you mentioned, Bruce, is guaranteed the paid up additions or the, the not the premium, sorry, the death benefit that is associated with the base policy. The base premium purchases this much death benefit. That is a guaranteed amount. And so dividends are going to be paid on a stronger basis for the base death benefit than for the paid up addition death benefit, which is, as you mentioned, optional. Now, if you're a policy owner, you can say, well, I funded a policy with $50,000 of premium. And of that 50,000, I don't know, 10,000 was, um, I don't know if this ratio is right, but 10,000 was base and 40,000 was paid up additions. That means as a policy owner, now, if I don't want to pay the full premium, well, the 40,000 of paid up additions is not necessarily required. I can skip that one year or pay just a small uh, portion to keep it in force. But what that also means is that your policy has a lot more paid up addition death benefit than than base death benefit. And what you want to think about is if all well, of the let me let me go ahead. It, I was oversimplifying. I know. Yeah, it doesn't have a lot more paid up additions death benefit. What you're saying is the premium is allotted a lot more to paid up additions because the paid up yes. additions death benefit would actually be considerably lower than the base death benefit. Okay. So the the reason that Bruce is bringing this up though, is that if you're in a situation where, as we know, um, growth is increasing, interest rates are rising, bond rates rising. We're in an environment where we expect the growth rate, even inside of a life insurance policy to go up as it's pegged to things that are on an upward trend. If we look at all of that and we expect that in the future, it's possible that dividend rates will rise from today's rates that are declared. And if more dividends are paid on the death benefit of the base policy, then it's really valuable to have a lot of base premium in your policy. So don't that's what be, you desire. If that's what you desire to increase yes. the dividends. Yes. And so it's it's important to think about what are you trying to accomplish in a policy? I just want to speak to the person who thinks that all I should do is put a lot of paid up additions in and really barely any base premium because I want the flexibility of changing my payments or paying less 
and I want as high of early cash value growth as possible. Don't forget, though, that you have a powerful growth tool in the future with dividends on your base portion of your life insurance policy. Just something I wanted to point out. And again, we've referenced this in probably six or seven or even 10 different episodes in the past. The other thing Bruce mentioned, and you said dividends are used to purchase more paid up additions. That's one option that you can use for dividends. We think that it's one of the best ways to structure a policy, but you have options for what you can do with that dividend, right, Bruce? I mean, you could- Yeah, you could, um, you could, you could set it to accumulate. It's, I still don't understand why people would do this, but I see it when I review policies all the time. It, it mainly be, means you're accumulating it outside the contract and it's they're earning taxable interest mm. <laughs> on the accumulation. Think of it as going to a savings account outside of the policy and getting interest at the at the um, at the insurance company. You can set it to just send them your the dividends, then they can just send them to you. Uh, or you can set them to actually buy more paid up additions. The advantage of doing that is you're not only building your death benefit up, but you're also leaving them in the contract. And then they they compound not only as a cash value, but they also compound in the, in the calculation of future dividends. So that's the way that um, not only we are trained as infinite banking practitioners to do it, but the way that logically I think a person should oh, me too. decide to do it. So. Me too, because it's it's giving you the compound growth in a really powerful way because then your dividends are being added to the policy values and you're earning interest and dividends on that dividend. Um, the last thing that I just wanted to point out is that um, if you look at the growth rate inside of an actual life insurance policy that's historically been in, in effect, you're going to see a rate of return on that policy. Now, we, we mention all the time that interest rates or growth rates inside your life insurance policy is not the main thing. But sometimes somebody could say, well, historically over this particular span of years, it was between three and 5% net rate of return inside your life insurance policy. Non-taxable. Yes. So after tax, no tax is being applied to this. It's not three to 5% and then taxes are taken out. It's three to 5% with no taxes. So that's key. But if you also look at the future and recognizing that you could have higher dividend growth, we could have higher growth rates in general in the policy. It's not a static. What I'm, what I'm saying is it's not a static always every year in every economic environment, it's three to 5% net growth rate. I'm saying historically, in the last maybe 30 years, it's been about that. But if we look forward in a potentially higher growth rate environment because of everything that's happening economically around us, that is, you still have the potential to be in a position that you're putting your savings in a tool that's storing that capital in one of the best performing places that's going to be growing at a rate that's going to at least minimize the effects of inflation in the most powerful way. So I'm not saying it's going to internal, I'm not saying the internal rate of a policy is going to overtake inflation. What I am saying is that of all of the options of where you can store cash in a safe liquid environment that you can access and use, it is the best place that we've seen that does 
grow at the best rate, which means you cancel out some of the effects of inflation. And you have to remember as well, infinite banking is not just a plug your money into life insurance and sit it on the shelf for the next 80 years and let the death benefit pay out. It's figuring out how do I use this cash value along the way to earn an external rate of return at the same time that my money is growing inside of the policy. Right. And that, and that external rate of return can also be minimizing your financing needs, such as car and car um, financing rates going up, inflation. So instead of doing that, you're actually borrowing against your cash value. And then that way you do not have that additional financing um, need. So it, it works on both ends, both the expense side and the income side. I love that we unpack this today. I would love to hear your questions. And we are going back and checking out your questions. You can email them to hello at themoneyadvantage.com. You can put them beneath this video, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. We'll get those questions and be able to incorporate them into future content and episodes in this series on what is infinite banking. And if you are ready to move forward and take hold of infinite banking for yourself, whether for a first policy or whether for your 25th policy. I don't know if we've seen 25 yet, but I'm just uh, saying it could be your second, third, fourth, or 25th policy. You can come to us at um, themoneyadvantage.com and book a call with our advisors and be able to get started with your particular set of life circumstances, your goals, your financial status, and your timelines and your health status and figure out what exactly infinite banking looks like for you in your actual real life. We look forward to being a part of that solution for you. And in closing, we'll be back next time with more information on what is infinite banking. So don't, um, don't think that if we haven't answered your question yet, that we won't. And we look forward to getting to those questions. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.